Welcome to the AEM Education and Training Podcast, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Education and Training Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. Ah, the annual in-service training exam. I remember it from my long-ago residency days, although it's a good bet that the exam has changed since then. The American Board of Emergency Medicine provides this annual in-training exam to evaluate residents' educational progress. Just like the Emergency Medicine Board's exam, the questions come from the comprehensive list of EM core content as described by the ABEM model of clinical practice. Today we're discussing a new AEM education and training article entitled, Does the Emergency Medicine in-training examination accurately reflect residents' clinical experiences? We have corresponding author, Dr. Jeremiah Emerson with us today to describe this study, which hoped to determine how closely resident-patient encounters in emergency departments matched the ABEM model content outline for the in-training exam. Dr. Emerson is an assistant professor and assistant residency program director at the Ohio State University Emergency Medicine Residency Program. His academic interests include curricular design, remediation, and ECG interpretation, and we're so happy to have him with us today. Dr. Jeremiah Emerson, it's so great to have you on the podcast with us to talk about your paper. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So for those of us who haven't taken the residency in training exam in a really long time, like me, um, could you just remind us all of of what it is and what it's meant to do? Yeah, absolutely. I have uh, the luxury of reminding my residents this every year, Um, but it's it's basically uh, an assessment uh, of knowledge provided by um, ABEM um, to be taken every year. Uh, for um, any residency program that uh, that cares to be involved. And it basically is sort of uh, giving a snapshot or an assessment uh, uh, comparing to what they would expect uh, the uh, average PGY3 resident uh, uh, level of knowledge to be at. Um, and at least for me, as uh, uh, someone involved in uh, program leadership, um, the, the biggest uh, benefit to it is it sort of gives us a projected uh, uh, likelihood of uh, passing the, the qualifying exam, you know, the written boards um, after they graduate. So that's kind of what we use it as sort of a general uh, knowledge um, assessment or a, a sort of a um, kind of where are you standing right now and how likely is it going to be for you to pass uh, the boards. So this exam is is based on ABEM's model of clinical practice. Right. So could you remind us a little bit about that too and how it's developed and then we'll get into your paper. Yeah, yeah, the ABEM model is um, a, so basically uh, sort of a uh, a basis uh, for what ABEM uses um, as a sort of a core content um, for uh, training programs. So it was uh, first developed in uh, 2001, I believe, and it's basically, uh, long and short of it, is expert consensus. So it's folks that have been doing this for a long time kind of sat together and said, gosh, what's important for our field? Um, and how do we quantify this into sort of a, a model or a, um, uh, a characterization of the kind of things um, uh, we see, the kind of procedures that we need to do, um, and basically what we need to know as emergency medicine uh, physicians. And, and this is what uh, the uh, in-training exam is based off of, and more importantly, the, um, uh, the qualifying exam is based off of. 
So what was the premise of your study? Like, what did you set out to study and why did you think this was important? Yeah, so uh, obviously qualifying and uh, uh, for the boards and sitting down and passing it is important. But, uh, you know, what's more important, I think, to, to us and really to, to everyone, including the folks that develop this, is are we turning out good um, uh, physicians who are able to do the job? Um, and so um, we basically... You know, looking back at the ABAM model, as, as I alluded to before, as I, I mentioned before, um, you know, it's, it's largely based on expert consensus, which is which is great. But we're all, you know, scientists. We're data driven people. So we kind of wanted to say, gosh, how does this ABAM model or what what we believe is important um, and what we have outlined in terms of our core content? How does that align with what our residents are actually seeing? Um, and can we use that information to sort of guide the way we train our residents or guide, um, you know, how we construct the model. All right, fantastic. So, so this is a single center study. So, describe your center for us and your training program. Yeah, so we're um, a three-year uh, emergency medicine uh, training program based in Columbus, Ohio, at uh, the Ohio State University. Um, it's an academic quaternary care center, um, busy, sick patients, uh, huge ED. So we have. Um, uh, without flex or, um, uh, you know, hallway beds or anything like that, which we utilize uh, often uh, as necessary, um, 86 standard beds, um, and we can um, flex that out to around 120 to 130 patients at any given time, um, divided up amongst four zones um, in RED, um, two of which are our busiest zones that are resident staffed. Um, as well as a dedicated area for um, cancer patients and our, our uh, oncology uh, pod that we call it that serves the James Cancer Hospital, which is an affiliated hospital with us, as well as a ED staff 24-hour um, observation unit that consists of uh, 20 beds when fully staffed, which we um, have uh, no difficulty filling up with non-observation patients once we get those observation patients moving through. Um, we see about, uh, I think our paper we were using some out, uh, somewhat outdated figures, um, so anywhere from 80 to 96,000 uh, patients a year, and we are uh, a quaternary referral center for um, uh, majority of central Ohio as well as uh, northern Kentucky and uh, eastern Indiana. Um, transplant center, comprehensive stroke center, um, uh, cardiac center, including ALVADs, heart transplants, things like that. So uh, you name it, uh, we see it. Excellent. So let's talk about how you set this study up. Mm -hmm. You looked at EMR records for resident patient encounters over about a two and a half year period, and you divided them up by chief complaint and ESI level. So tell us tell us more about your methods. Yeah, yeah. So basically, um, in that two and a half year period, we identified um, uh, 160,000 patient encounters. Um, and the first step was sort of eliminating um, all of the encounters that weren't seen um, primarily by our ED categorical residents. Um, and so all of our advanced practice providers, um, all of the patients that were seen primarily by attendings, um, as well as any uh, encounters that were seen by a resident who had less than 25 encounters, um, uh, we sort of uh, whittled that down to the 125,000 or so visits. Um, and then at that time, we used the chief complaint to sort of categorize uh, the complaints and, and, and sort of um, uh, put them uh, within the um, ABEM model categories um, as, as outlined in the model. And so myself and one of the other um, uh, co-investigators basically sat down and we said, you know, this would go into cardiovascular, this chief complaint goes into signs and symptoms, you know, et cetera, through all these 
uh, various complaints, and we identified about 700 um, unique chief complaints that we categorized into the ABEM model. Um, and then we used the ABEM model to sort of predict what, based on the ABEM model, what percentage it would fall into of those various categories. And then we just used basically a very simple chi-squared test to say, uh, does it compare? Does the ABEM model sort of predict um, uh, what our what we found in terms of our, our, our visits? So going into this, you anticipated some limitations. Mm -hmm. And one right off the bat that seems significant is the unreliability of the chief complaint. Yeah. Meaning, I think we all know that, you know, a chief complaint of, of chest pain, um, you know, everything from a very minor costochondritis receiving ibuprofen uh, could be happening to an older patient with lots of procedures or uh, a chest tube. Or I, I think you did initially try to control for that, right? So tell us about that process. Well, we, I think ideally we would, uh, we would be able to pull from the medical record exactly what happened with this patient. You know, every MI is, is, is coded as an MI. Um, every pneumothorax is coded as a pneumothorax. But unfortunately, um, based on the limitations of this being retrospective, as well as the limitations of the fact that we're just, we're, we're simply, we're pulling this um, from the electronic medical record, it just made that sort of diagnosis-based uh, um, analysis impossible. There was just no way for us. We, we, we attempted using, um, you know, language recognition software to kind of go through the um, MDMs and, and, and scan the um, diagnoses, and it just it just didn't work. Uh, there would be no way to do it without manually going through all 125,000. Uh, records and you know there's six or seven of us on this study so it just just wasn't feasible so uh you know uh, basically we were left with 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 chief complaint which yes i mean it does have a lot of limitations obviously um you know there are a few things like uh you know traumatic to sort of you know there's there's really only one way to interpret my arm is broken um but uh you know nausea or fatigue or chest pain you know that that, that can go in so many different directions so um obviously there's a lot of limitations there but really um uh that was uh that was the, the, the best we had um, in terms of the data that we were working with to kind of uh, uh, drive this analysis. Great. Are there any other limitations you'd like to highlight quickly? Well, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's you know, it's retrospective. You know, we're at the whim of what people bothered to, to, um, to, to code in the chart and write down. And obviously, uh, um, we, you know, we already talked about the chief complaint and sort of um, how that's derived. We know that this isn't the patient sort of entering their own chief complaint into the chart. So, um, I, I think the world of our triage nurses, but sometimes, you know, you know, things get missed or, you know, someone comes in and their chief complaint is, is back pain, but you really find out that they're, you know, it's really that chest pain that's been nagging them for six months. That really is what the ED provider decided was the, the patient's chief concern here today. So, um, uh, those are those are some other you know things that we um, sort of came across. We talked about a few others in our uh, paper, but the biggest one here, um, obviously, is that uh, that that the, the, using the chief complaint. All right, great. Let's talk about what you found. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, not surprisingly, we found uh, some pretty significant differences from what was outlined in the ABEM model compared to what we were seeing at our shop. Um, basically, the only two ABEM categories that we found that we sort of uh, got basically what we were expected were cardiovascular disorders um, and head, ears, eyes, nose, and throat-based disorders. We saw some of our biggest um, differences um, in uh, things like signs, symptoms, um, and presentations as a category in the ABEM model. 
um, which we were really overrepresented, um, psychobehavioral disorders um, and abdominal and gastrointestinal disorders were other um, really overrepresented. And then underrepresented were things like uh, procedures and skills, um, systemic infectious disorders, um, and thoracic and respiratory disorders, um, as well as um, environmental and toxicology disorders. So um, those we found were, were, were fairly underrepresented um, in the, uh, the the patients that our residents saw. So do you think that there are any implications from these findings that we or ABEM can or should start to address? Or do you think that we need more work done first? Or do you think this is an issue at all? Um, yes and no on the issue at all. I mean, I think that there are things, so, so any drastic changes or things to go right off of this, no. I mean, this is a really limited um, uh, study. And on top of it, we're kind of um, using in the ABEM model um, as our guide, but it's not, that's not exactly right what the ABEM model was designed for. Um, there are certain things that you just have to overteach, you know, the, the, the critical uh, uh, procedures and critical patients, you know, they are few and far between, but we need to be able to do, you know, handle them um, when they come in. So we're going to be overemphasizing them. That's not surprising. Um, but, you know, things that we that came up that we, we, we thought were really um, interesting um, uh, were this category of other complaints that we had um, uh, a significant number more of them, um, and a lot of those were based off of things that we see every day that aren't necessarily in the ABEM model, like, hey, I had an abnormal MRI, or hey, you know, um, uh, you know, my, uh, I, I was sick at work, and, uh, you know, I need a doctor's note, or, uh, gosh, I, I was diagnosed with cancer, and I don't know what to do. You know, these are all things that, that come up on a daily basis that aren't necessarily accounted for in the ABEM model. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know about your residents, but um, it's not hard for me to get my residents really super motivated to, to, to take care of a patient who needs to be intubated or a central line or run a code. Um, but sometimes they express some frustration with how our ED is really used. And I think that's really important for us to be that, you know, that uh, front porch of the healthcare system and really help these people navigate the system. So I think, you know, that could be, uh, this is an opportunity to kind of consider that and say, hey, do we, do we have a dedicated curriculum or a dedicated way of teaching sort of helping patients navigate the healthcare system and, and talking about all the ways that our ED is used? Uh, maybe maybe suboptimally, but but that's that's the truth of it, and we need to be able to be able to take care of those patients. That is such a great point. There is so much more to being an emergency physician than what is outlined um, in that ABEM model, um, especially to doing this job efficiently and well for everybody that comes in through the doors. So so I think that's great. So yeah. what was the most difficult part of this study? Well, after sort of. Um, accounting for the challenges of, of dealing with um, just a chief complaint-based um, analysis, I think the, the most difficult part was uh, was 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 just getting through the uh, at least for me was just getting through the categorization of all of these uh, the chief, chief complaints and kind of deciding where they best fit within the model and uh, um, getting our um, uh, uh, our teams to sort of agree. So basically, our our our, our pattern was or our, our method was. You know, if the two of us disagree, of which there was about 30% of the, the, the 700 chief complaints we disagreed, we had a third person um, sort of intervene and make the call. But there was a significant number, about 8%, where none of us could agree on that. Um, and so kind of sitting down <laughs> and hashing that out was a significant part. Um, I bet they no, were no, no, very yeah. interesting conversations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, and it's, 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 it's the same limitations, right? So, you know, is, 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 chest, complaint, is chest pain a cardiovascular problem or is it a sign symptom? You know, it's, it's, it's stuff like that that really is sort of the limitation of the study and, that, and that's not really how the ABEM model was derived. 
Um, but in order for us to, to, to be able to sort of uh, do this analysis, we had to, to, to come to terms with that. So what comes next in your mind? What would be the next best step to take about this? Well, so with the, from the study perspectives, again, um, accounting for all the limitations, I think, you know, we talked about um, uh, ways to sort of look at the ABEM model. Are there things to add or the things to change around to be put more emphasis, for example, on abdominal and uh, GI disorders? But I also I think it, it sort of highlights uh, the limitations of our clinical environment. I think we all recognize that that is basically the majority of, of the learning that gets done is sort of this sort of pseudo apprenticeship um, model that we have. Um, but I think it, it it displays to us that you know there are certain things that we're going to need to 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 develop that are outside of that, and um, uh, you know whether it's didactic based, whether it's simulation based. Um, you, you name it. Um, there's a lot of things that I think we need to recognize that you're not going to get enough, um, you know, repetition, so to speak, in the clinical environment. Um, outside of that, I think a couple of things that we're going to try to do with the data set, you know, the, what, what most interests me is, and, and we, we mentioned in our, our site that uh, we have fast-track areas that are um, staffed primarily by advanced practice uh, providers, which is a really important um, part of our team. Um, but a, a question that I would want to ask um, as, a, as a program uh, director, as an assistant program director, is, is does this um, have any impact, good or bad, on the education of our residents? Um, and so sort of characterizing, we, we uh, were fortunate enough to have opened up a APP, primarily APP uh, staffed fast track within the uh, confines of this um, data set. So we have a significant um, uh, proportion of patients that happened before then and a significant proportion afterwards. So it's ripe for sort of investigating how, how does this affect um, what our, uh, uh, the, the, the types of patients that our residents are seeing. Um, and then another one that we have in the works is sort of looking at how, what, what uh, the, the characteristics of patients that are being seen, how does that change from a PGY-1 to PGY-2 to PGY-3? Or I think that would be a fascinating thing to look at and sort of uh, maybe can help us sort of better tailor our educational experience to our residents. It very much would be a fascinating study. So thank you so much for spending the time with us today. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes next. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this AEM Education and Training Podcast. Be sure to read the full text of this article, available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Subscribe to all our AEM podcasts on Apple Podcasts. Search for AEM Early Access, all one word. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.